When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're joined now by professional basketball player for the NBA's Orlando Magic, Jonathan Isaac. Jonathan, how's it going? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing fantastic, Kirk. Thank you so much for having me on. Appreciate it. You know what? My, my kids are going to be like, Dad, you had a chance to meet Jonathan Isaac, and you did that? Really? That was so cringy. You're embarrassing us. <laughs> well, you sound great. You sound just like our announcers. Yeah, I'm sure I do. I'm sure I do. They're going to be calling me any minute, just telling me that I need to uh, come take over for them. Listen, I want to talk all about your book, Stand, and I want to talk about that famous moment in 2020 where you took a stand. But, but first of all, I want to learn a little bit more about your life story. You've talked about how taking a stand throughout your life has really been a continual process. Uh, what, what, what does that process look like? So the, the process looks like where I started. And so when I grew up in Bronx, New York, I, I left Bronx, New York when I was about 10 years old and moved to Naples, Florida. Um, my mom and my dad split up and me, my four brothers and one sister ended up in Naples, Florida. So I went from a predominantly black community to a predominantly white community. And I really, really struggled with fitting in. And I, I took to a nickname early on. It was Ethiopia because I was so tall and skinny and, and dark, of course. I, I really, really struggled with fitting in. And I had a couple moments that I lay out in the book where it really does show you how terrible I was at fitting in. And I developed a, a real sense of anxiety, fear, self-insecurity about making friends and about receiving love and this fear of being rejected by my peers. And so that's, that's where the process started for me, always working for love. And then I, I found basketball and basketball started to mask a lot of those feelings that I was having mm. because the better at basketball that I got, the more praise and attention that I got from people. So the, the girls started to like me, the guys started to want me on their team because I was becoming this great basketball player, but I was still struggling behind the scenes with anxiety because I didn't want to lose anything that I had gained. And so that looks like becoming the number one player in the state of Florida, attending Florida State University and still having to take anxiety medication to practice and to play. And so and so that's where I started. I would have you know frequent panic attacks before games in class. Um, and nobody knew about this. My wow. family didn't know. Teammates didn't know. Um, just the coach and one of my teammates that was my roommate knew about it. Um, and so it was something that I that, that, that I really hid for a long time that I was struggling with. Um, but I'm, I'm thankful to God that he brought the right people into my life. So that, that's where I started. And the process of, of you know, having a relationship with Christ, it, it really is a really dope story that I lay out in the book. But I'll give you the little snapshot story. Please. Uh, I, I get to Orlando. I, I get drafted. And mind you, I, I grew up in church. I, I grew up in church. I was in church all the time. But the more the bigger and bigger basketball got for me, the more and more it took over everything in my life. And I, and I really had a picture of what I, I felt like a man was. And it wasn't one going to church. It was, you know, get going out, lots of money, cars, all those different things. And so when I got drafted, I wanted to experience it all. Um, but it wasn't before long that I started to notice that it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. And one day a teammate invites me to chapel um, and the chaplain says, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with a verse and then we're going to talk about it. And the verse that he led with was Luke 646. And that verse says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? 
And the verse hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's me. Um, you know, I would pray when times got tough. I would change my music when I wasn't playing well, but it wasn't something that I stuck with or I didn't really care what Jesus had to say about my life. And uh, uh, I decided in that time that I was going to find out if Christianity was real. And so I started binging Christian apologetics, Frank Turek, John Lennox, William Lane Craig, staying up late at night watching these videos. <laughs> and during that time, one day I was getting onto an elevator and a gentleman was was also waiting to get onto the elevator. And he stops me and he says, I can tell you how to be great. Now, this is still during my rookie season. And I said, how? Tell me. He said, you have to know Jesus. And I said, man, I know Jesus. What the heck? And kept it moving. But then I kept seeing the guy over and over again, all over the place. I would see him in the parking lot. I would see him at the elevator. I would see him in front of the building. And he would always ask me to go to, to, to lunch with him. And I saw him so many times that I was like, look, if I see you one more time, I will go to lunch with you. Lo and behold, I see him the next day. We go to lunch. Um, the lunch is fine, but it, it wasn't anything special. So I leave the lunch. I delete his number. I don't, I don't see him for a while. And this is where it really gets interesting. I go to the movie theaters with a friend of mine one night and we go to watch a Christian film. And but the movie is so terrible, Kirk. <laughs> it's, so, it's so cheesy. It wasn't one of your movies. I promise. It wasn't one of your movies. And we, we switched to Thor and we're watching Thor and the movie's over with. And um, we leave in the movie theater and he says to me, you know, where are you at with God? And I'm like, man, you know, I'm searching, I'm watching videos, I'm reading books, I'm reading my Bible, but I'm not sure. And he says to me, if you keep looking, you're going to find. And so that night I'm pulling out of the movie theater onto a street and there's another car pulling onto the same street as me. And so our cars are kind of, my driver's side window is on his driver's side window. And I roll down the window and he rolls down the window and it's the guy from the elevator. And this is late at night um, that, I, that I get to see him. And so I said to myself, God wants this guy in my life. And uh, so I say to him, you know what? Me and you, we're going to go to breakfast tomorrow morning. We go to breakfast. Um, Thanksgiving is coming up. And I tell him all about my plan to feed the homeless with burgers. And he says to me, you can't do that. And I said, why? He said, if you're going to feed people, you have to feed people right. And sorry, this is a long-winded story, but I want you to get it. No, it's great. And uh, so, uh, so he says, you can't do that. He says, it turns out that the guy has a catering company that feeds prisons. And he says to me, if you buy the food, I'll cook it and we can really, you know, put something on for the homeless. And so I'm following him to Sam's Club and I'm saying inside of myself, what are you doing? You don't even know who this guy is. Um, but I said to myself, something about this feels right. And so I go to Sam's Club. Um, I buy the food. Some people come and take it. And the next Saturday, I get a text with an address. I go to the address and there's a line of 200 homeless people waiting to be fed. I jump in line. I put my hairnet on. There's a young lady standing next to me who's also serving food. That young lady goes on to become my wife today. Um, but uh, but so we, we pass out the food. We feed the homeless. Right. It gets even better. We pass out the food. We feed the homeless. Um, and I was injured at the time. I hurt my ankle during the game. And, the, and you know, his name was Doc, the, the guy from the elevator. He pulls me inside of what seemed like a church. And he said, could I pray over your ankle? Um, and I said, sure. So he, he goes down. He prays. Um, and I got home that night and I couldn't shake the feeling that someone was looking out for me, like my footsteps were being ordered and that somebody loved me. And it was so heartfelt for me because I was so used to working for love, basketball, being the class clown, always trying to gain the, accept the acceptance and the love of people around me. But here I was, this guy that I wasn't even checking for, that I was trying to live my own life to do. I felt like he cared about me and I started crying. And I kneeled down on my bedside for the first time that I had done at, at all at being in Orlando. And I remembered my youth group prayer from when I was going to youth group as a kid. Jesus, be Lord of my life, come into my heart. Um, and then from then on, 
the guy invite, this is the ending. Doc invites me to church. Um, and I say to him, Hey, if you're cool, your pastor has to be cool. I'll go to church with you. Um, and they, we go to church, they introduce the pastor and doc walks out onto the stage and preaches the sermon. Um, and then from then on, I've been, he's, he's been my pastor, Dr. Deron Hepburn of Jump Ministries Global Church here in Orlando. And I've just been growing. And that process of getting to where I am today has, has, has come through, you know, mentorship and being in church and just continuing to grow based on the word. Before you took your famous stand, uh, you say that your pastor said something to you. So on, on, on the night before um, I decided to stand in the bubble, I was on the phone with my pastor, Pastor Deron Hepper. And uh, I, I, I'm telling him how crazy that this stand is going to be. Like, he doesn't understand what it's going to be like. I, I knew that I was going to be called a coon and Uncle Tom and all these different things. I knew that it wasn't going to be easy for me. I also hadn't signed my contract extension yet, so that was still up in the air. And so I'm explaining all of this stuff to him. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand, but we have to be ready for this. And the thing that he said to me is that you cannot stand for God and God not stand for you. And from that was the moment they were like, okay, we're going to do this. And I, I stood the next day. Now, in your book, you also have a chapter in there entitled Growing Pains. Uh, great title. <laughs> great title for a chapter. I know a little bit about that. What, what, what did those growing pains look like for you? The, the time that I decided, you know what, I'm going to live my life for Christ. That's when the growing pains really started. And so it was about, okay, how do I balance this life of deciding to live for Christ and being an NBA basketball player who previously was living the NBA basketball player lifestyle? So with teammates, with friends and all these different things, how do I attack that? And so I started to really just cut things off. I unfollowed people on social media, deleted numbers and, and you know, told myself that I was going to be celibate from there on out. And so I had these growing pains of, of, you know, working through teammate relationships and, 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 and just growing in my faith. You know, uh, our pastor called me to speak on a Sunday. Um, and now you have to think about how much I struggle with anxiety. And now this man is calling me to preach on a Sunday uh -huh. um, after I had been growing in the church for a while. And the old Jonathan would have immediately said no. I actually did immediately say no. But he said to me, only give me your answer after you really pray about it. And so I prayed about it and I, I decided to do it. And he said to me, I think you should invite your teammates. And so now I was going to these teammates that I was just in the club with a few weeks ago. And I'm going to them saying, hey, I'm going to be preaching. You should come. And so um, th those were the growing pains that I was working through. And the more and more that I just seen myself say yes to God in spite of my fear, in spite of my anxiety, the more and more that I grew. And I, and I was going through the growing pains, even on the court of struggling with that fear, struggling yeah. with anxiety to now getting these tools to equip me to, to, to fight, you know, speaking the word over myself before games, reciting scriptures in my head. And I saw myself get better and better. Jonathan, you talk about how God prepared you and you can see this process and all the growing pains that you went through. Do you think that, that all of that was, was leading you up to this, this nationally televised moment of you taking a stand? And, and if so, what does that, what does that tell you about the kind of God that you serve? And, and how he works through you. Well, Kirk, you're, you're exactly right. Um, you know, when the stand happened, so many people came out and said, Jonathan Isaac is the most courageous guy and the most bold guy. But the thing that was striking to me was knowing the process that it took for me to get there. And obviously knowing where I started, riddled with anxiety, riddled with fear. How did I become this person who would be willing to stand and stand alone for that matter? Uh, and that's really where the book came out of. Uh, my pastor came to my house one day and said, you know what? You're going to write a book. 
because people know your stand, but they don't know your story. And the story to me, especially writing it, is really what gives the the book its backbone, why I stand, why I decided to stand. And so it, it tells me that God obviously knows the future. He obviously knows what he's preparing us for. Mm. But even more so, the, the, the only thing that is more terrifying to the enemy than us just becoming a Christian is us becoming who God has created us to be and growing and forming into the image of, of his son and, and being able to do what he's called us to do. And so if I didn't have those small moments of courage that God was taking me through, fighting fear in those small ways, speaking at church, speaking to teammates, doing different things, I would never have been equipped enough to stand in that moment knowing that I was going to be standing alone. I love it. Jonathan, we've talked all about the lead up to your choice to stand. And after the break, we'll talk about that moment and the responses that you received. So don't go away. We're back with NBA player for the Orlando Magic, Jonathan Isaac, and his bold, some people might say unpopular, choice to stand. So, Jonathan, we've been alluding to this, we've been talking about it, but for those who are a little fuzzy in their memory, go back to July 21st, 2020. Where were you, and why was a choice to physically stand a choice that required so much boldness? Right, that, that, that really is the question. Why was it a, a choice in the first place? So you have to go back just a little bit before July 21st to the tragic death of George Floyd. Um, so as, as that happened, um, and the world is in complete disarray, there is the rising of the Black Lives Matter movement and organization. Um, and me, an NBA player, is watching you know, this video on the internet, and I'm saying to myself, what is the right way for me to respond in this moment in a way that could truly help or, or bring some type of healing? And so I was going to service one night, and our pastor was preaching on the, the, the moment when Jesus is being captured by the Roman guard and how Peter lunges forward. And this is during the time of the riots. Peter lunges forward and he cuts off the guy's ear and Jesus stops him. And he says, those that live by the sword will die by, will die by the sword. And Jesus heals the guy's ear, he reaches out his hand and heals the guy's ear. And I said to myself, I want to be an agent of healing and, and, and bringing people together in this time that I know is going to be divisive, that I know that's going to be white versus black. But I didn't know how that was going to come out in any way. Yeah, and yeah. so the, the league had been shut down by COVID. Um, but then they decided to bring it back in what was called the NBA bubble. And in the NBA bubble, there were a lot of talks about all of the players, the staff, the refs, everyone kneeling for the national anthem in solidarity for black lives. And uh, so we were in the bubble and a team had just knelt the day before us. And so our team officials all called this into a meeting um, and they said, listen, this is you guys' choice. You guys decide what you want to do. We're going to stay out of it. And uh, so now it's just me and my teammates and everyone is saying, we don't have a choice but to kneel. There is no choice in this. We're going to kneel. Everyone's going to kneel. The other team already knelt. We can't be the only team that doesn't kneel. It just is what has to happen. Um, and that it, it, it made me feel uncomfortable because I, I didn't see kneeling as the only way to support black lives. My life being supported by the gospel and ultimately knowing that for me, it's not going to be a movement, an organization, a political party that can really change the hearts of men because racism and all of the things that plague our society are heart issues. And we need the gospel. We need the love of Jesus Christ that can love past sin, past divides, white versus black on both sides. And so a teammate turns towards me and says, Jonathan, what are you going to do? And I said, fellas, I'm not going to kneel and I'm not going to wear that Black Lives Matter T-shirt. And chaos erupts. Everyone's like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be terrible. Um, and everyone really just gets up and leaves. 
And so um, that night was a night that I was on the phone with my pastor telling him, like, I I don't know if you understand how crazy this moment is going to be. I'm going to be called names. People are going to come after me because of what I'm about to do. And that's when he said, you can't stand for God and God not stand for you. So on July 21st, like you said, I found myself in the NBA bubble about to run out onto the court to warm up and ultimately stand um, while every one of my teammates and everyone else in the entire you know, room you know, decided to kneel. And Jonathan, what were you hoping to communicate by standing? What, what I was hoping to communicate was simply my version of what could really change things. And so everyone else, my teammates included, were kneeling for what they believed in. But I was standing for what I believed in that ultimately what's really going to change things is the love of Jesus Christ being showed. And the love of Jesus Christ is particular. It's not the love of the world. It's an unconditional love, a love that loves past sin, a love that loves past divides. And that's what's needed on both sides, because both sides are up in arms about what's been done or what's being done. Um, But if we could choose to love each other the way that God loves us, which is in spite of our sin, in spite of our shortcomings, the Bible says herein is love. Not that we first loved God, but that God first loved us and Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. And so that's the message that I wanted to pay across. I wanted everyone to say to humble themselves. And in this time of being angry and upset to say, hey, if I'm throwing stones right now, I'm throwing stones from a glass house. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all done things that are wrong. And if I could humble myself and say and, you know, and forgive or repent in some type of way, then we could truly have healing. That is so good. And that is humbling to hear and refreshing to hear from you. And um, you obviously knew that failing to conform to what was going on in the culture and even right there in your team was going to result in a lot of backlash. Uh, What made you willing to go through that and stand up to that storm? Well, I would say what made me willing was that I knew that I wasn't standing for just myself. I wasn't standing on my word. I I knew that I was standing on the word of God and all that I had been taught and learned through a relationship with God over, you know, the the four years that I was at Ministries Global Church under Dr. Hepburn. And so he taught us all about love and, and developing a relationship with God and that God won't let you fail and that faith demands a response from God, all those different things. And so the same way that he was teaching on the way that Jesus healed the man's ear that was ultimately going to be a part of crucifying him. That's what the the manner and the heart posture that I wanted to take on. Mm. And so what, what made me willing was that, um, you know, having the right people around me that I, I knew I wasn't standing alone. It wasn't just me up there. It was my church family. It was my wife. It was my family as mm. well. And, and all of those people who felt the way that I felt, but didn't have the courage to stand in that moment. But, but surely you knew that this was a risky move, right? I mean, you were, you were a part of a team. I mean, we're, we were, were you nervous? Were you concerned about what this would do in terms of the unity on the team? Yeah, I, I was terribly afraid, to be quite honest with you. I, I didn't sleep the night before. Um, you know, I, I knew my teammates and, you know, other people would be upset with me for sure. Um, and and the, the entire time that I was standing, I was praying under my breath, you know, God, purify my motives. Let this be about you and not me, because I, I, I knew it was coming. And perhaps this might even affect the performance of your team. This could even break up the unity and your, and your ability to win as a team. Jonathan, what, if anything, do you think that the media and popular culture got wrong about your intentions when you stood? I would say that you have both sides of this. The, the, the first side automatically thought that I was, you know, using, you know, my Christianity or religion as a scapegoat to forego the support of black lives or that 
Um, I didn't, you know, one of the things that I said to my teammates after we had a, a, an only teammate teammate meeting after I stood and, you know, guys were upset with me, I said to them, I see the same things that you guys see. I just have a different answer than you have. And so it's not that I didn't see George Floyd's death and doesn't think that it's, you know, incredibly tragic or I don't see that there's racism in the world. I just know from experience um, that it's a heart issue and that God is truly going to be the thing that can heal it. And so, you know, there were those people who made it about not supporting black lives or those people who made it, you know, uh, all about the flag and all about, um, you know, not wanting to kneel for nationalism. And I absolutely love the country that I'm afforded to live in. Um, And one of the things that my pastor says all the time about us is that we haven't done everything right, but we haven't done everything wrong either. And that's the, you know, the, the posture that I view America in as, you know, America hasn't done everything right, but, you know, they haven't done everything wrong either. And so I love the country that I live in, but it wasn't purely about standing for the flag. It was really about me saying, I know that Jesus Christ is the answer for the problems that we see in the world. How do I know that? Because he's been the answer for me. And the same love that I'm talking about is going to heal the world is the same love that found me when I wasn't even checking for God. Like I told you, I was so used to working for love, but it's the unconditional love of Christ that found me um, and has me, you know, healed to a to a certain degree that I am, you know, today. Everything you're saying is resonating with me. I'm saying yes, yes to your reasoning, yes to that wisdom, yes to your your biblical worldview and your understanding that this is a problem of the human heart. But some people still just have a real problem understanding your choice, particularly as a black man. Um, Why is it so much harder because of you being black for them to understand why you did what you did? Well, obviously, there's there's the there's the point of, you know, at the end of the day, tribalism that obviously, you know, what happened to George Floyd was tragic. And that's a black man. And, and there should be a level of black solidarity. And so many people, whether they agree with the tone or the messaging of the Black Lives Matter movement or organization, just went along with it because they were black. And, and I can understand why. But I, the reason for me was that I had a, a greater allegiance that surpassed my skin color. And that was ultimately my allegiance to Christ. And so, so many people that look like me, that agree with me, you know, saw themselves as Christ first and, you know, black second. Um, and so that, that's why, you know, they agree with me or disagree with me. Jonathan, you had anticipated the night before with great anxiety that there would be some backlash. That wasn't surprising to you. Uh, but once it was all said and done, was there anything that was surprising to you about this whole experience? I may not say surprising, but... You know, everyone talks about the backlash. Everyone talks about all of the negativity that came out of, um, you know, me deciding to stand. But there also was so much encouragement that completely engulfed, you know, the the majority of the negativity. People who who agreed with what I decided to say and decided to do um, and were encouraged and inspired by the stand. And they said to themselves, you know what, I want to stand as well. And I want to stand in this way, in the manner in which this young man stood Unfortunately, we know that there are those who profit off of creating division. And uh, this, this isn't just what it appears to be on the surface. There's often uh, undercurrents of intention that get more, get more ratings when people are angry with one another than when they are working together in solidarity. And unfortunately, that's the kind of culture that we live in. You say things like, courage is not the absence of fear. It's the conquering of fear. Why is that important to note in today's culture? Standing up for what you believe in, especially if you're standing up, you know, for the word of God in Christ, 
is only going to become harder and harder to do, but only the more necessary. And so no matter what, all of the decisions that I've made in the past four to five years, if it's preaching at church, if it's standing in the bubble, I was met with intense fear about what people would think about me, how I would do, how I would fare, if I would if I would say the right words or if I would come across the right way. Um, and they were all reasons for me to turn back and say, no, I'm not going to do it. Um, but because I decided to do it, I can see all of the fruits of what God is using it to do. I'm, I'm on this show with you because I decided to stand. And so um, it, it just it just really resonates with me that courage is not the absence of fear. And, and so many of us think that the Bible says to be courageous and be bold. And we think that the only way that we can do that is to if, if we have any sense of fear, then we're not doing it right. or We don't have any faith. Um, but when we do feel that fear, we turn to the one who truly does um, is able to strengthen us and keep us in that time. And so that's exactly what I did. I felt the fear. I felt the anxiety. But I said, God, I know that you're with me because of the moments that I had before. And I know that you're going to see me through this moment. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.